Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Julia Watson contacted me in 2015 to tell me that, in her opinion, she would make an excellent interview subject for my podcast, this podcast, The Nitty Gritty Committee. At that time, she had just released her book. It's called Breakfast, School Run, Chemo. It always takes me a second to get those in the right order, but of course that's the order. Breakfast, School Run, Chemo. It was a book about her life. And a lot of it was about the fact that she was living with stage four cancer while raising four daughters and married to the lovely Gaz. She was determined to, to be a wife and a mum and to pursue her passions, like writing, for example. She finally got around to really having a go at writing and she is a really good writer. Uh, we'll, we'll hear that first conversation again soon, but first I wanted to update it with a conversation Julia and I had about three weeks ago. She was in hospice by that stage and uh, she knew that her journey was nearing an end. Julia passed away at about 10.15 on the night of Sunday, the 18th of December, uh, just a week short of Christmas, which makes it so much worse somehow. Uh, so I wanted to, to release this most recent conversation and obviously dedicate it to Julia, who has really quite remarkably changed the way I think about life and the way I want to live it. So I thank her for that and I dedicate this to her and to her fairies, her four daughters and her fella Gaz and their family and friends who have been uh, just such an incredible team throughout this journey. I'm Michelle Laurie, this is the Nitty Gritty Committee, stories of the guts and the glory of life and today the guts and the glory of death with Julia Watson. Hello. Julia, hello. Hi, Michelle, how are you going? Good, darling. How are you going? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm just making plans to break myself out of here in a few days and go home. Are you? Yeah, I'm not staying here. That's incredible. The last, I've been following your journey on Facebook, as a lot of people are, over the last couple of weeks, and there was a moment where you said, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to get home again, which is surreal. Yeah, well, that's what they told me, but um, nothing's got any worse and lots of things are sort of improving. So I'm, um, yeah, I've decided not to stay here and meet my demise. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Good yeah. for you. Um, is the house ready? What sort of stuff do you have to have at home? Um, I might need a wheelchair at this stage. I can't quite get into a standing position. That's my last obstacle to going home. But um, just because my legs have got really weak from lying around in bed for so long. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so Friday I decided is the, is the deadline for me leaving. So I'll go in a wheelchair if I have to or I'll walk in. I just won't go in in the hospital bed. You're not, children don't need to see that. You're not going to have a hospital bed at home? No, I probably will later on down the track, yeah. Mm -hmm. At the moment, I don't think I need one. So, no, yeah, everything's in place. I've just, um, I've just got to get there, really. Get my people around me and my pug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get your home, your smells, your, your feeling, you yeah. know, all those yeah. sensations of home around you. That's right, yeah. No, I was definitely, um, definitely sent here to, you know, 
see it out really. Mm-hmm. And I had 10 days and I think that's up on a Friday and nothing's changed. And I had some blood tests done and they were all quite a bit better. So, yeah, I need to go out there and find some treatment for treating this liver, but um, I'm, I'm cooking with gas, I think. I'm not going to... That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, how, how is everyone else holding up? When, when you heard those dreaded words, there's nothing more we can do, Mm. Um, what was you've got a big support system around you of, of family and friends. How did they cope? Um, well, everyone's just been absolutely fantastic. Everyone's just rallying around me, around the children. We had um, her great because I promised Indy that I'd go to her grade six graduation because I really thought that there was no problems and I yep. was you know going well with treatment and stuff. And then I realised that it's you know it may be too far away at I think it's a couple of weeks time that it's on so they actually brought the graduation to me yesterday and Indy had a little graduation here at the hospice mm-hmm. and um, so we had the little girls that are singing in the you know the grade six production and Indy was singing so they sang the songs and um, we had cupcakes and champagne and <laughs> all that sort of thing so Indy's really wrapped because we she had her own special graduation but then I'm going to um, I would very much think I'm going to be there at the real one too. So, but we've covered all the bases. I remember yeah. you talking about her graduation uh, a year ago, actually, when you and I recorded our first podcast together, and that was an event that you were very focused on making. Yeah. Well, that's right. Well, the, the the first big deadline that they gave me was actually it was right around Dakota, my first daughter's high school graduation. So I thought, I'm uh, sorry, primary school graduation. So I thought I'd get there. Um, but I always imagined what I, you know, what sort of state would I be in because that's right at the, you know, will I make it mm-hmm. and that's right. And so I've made it a, another nearly full year to get the next one into um, into high school. So, yeah, so that one we were talking about last year was probably Dakota. Yeah. And she's been in high school for a year and now wow. I've got to see another one in. So I've already had that bonus year where I got... Um, got the you know the extra time to get into him but I don't have to um worry now that if anything happens in the next couple of weeks that you know she'll have missed out on having me there because I mm. I don't make them promises that I can't keep but I was really confident this time mm. yeah. what's the overwhelming emotion that you're feeling at the moment oh it sounds trouble lots and lots of love really everyone's just um you know totally surrounded me and surrounded the family and you know, make sure the children are all right every day and they always, um, you know, reassure me that they always will be and, you know, they'll be there for the kids and they'll have a mother figure and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I've decided that I'm still the mother. <laughs> yeah, you'll always be their mother. That's right. But that's what I was sort of talking about last week. I was saying that the hardest thing for me was feeling like I, um, I'm not their mother anymore because I'm not doing the practical stuff, you right. know, that's what makes you feel like yeah. a mother. So I said last week to some or some counsellors or some friends and whatever that I just felt really cheated out of actually just being able to fill out school papers, which I hate. I hate filling out papers. Yeah. Gaz <laughs> yeah. done all that. But I mean, I actually felt ripped off from doing it. Like it wasn't my job anymore to be their mother. But, I, you know, I really feel so well that I just think I can still go out there and do the practical things for as long as I can do them. Get so, home and um, make them some sandwiches and those things that make you exactly. feel like a mum. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, I feel, I just, yeah, I feel really great. I feel like things have, um, you know, I had the three and a half really good months last time after that treatment, and I've had the same operation again, just in a different place. And, they, you know, it got, it got me that three and a half months last time, and they were glorious. So, if <laughs> I can get that again, because I've had that operation again, um, and they, you know, they thought it had failed, but it doesn't appear to have failed now. So um, I, can't, I haven't got a long time mm-hmm. because it's I've still got to, you know, find some treatment for my liver, which is, you know, going to be the, the the big problem. But at the moment, it's not um, it's not trying to actively kill me. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of conversations so, are you having with the girls at the moment with your daughters? Oh, really. Um, honest and, and quite optimistic ones. Like they were told last week by the um, the oncologist about how long I had left to live and so we always knew that I'd we'd have to tell them when it got close so that they didn't get too much of a shock. Mm. 
because they knew that I, they have always known that my cancer is terminal, but they haven't um, known, you know, when it's getting close. And so, yeah, like we we told them last week because they gave me the seven to ten days, and we thought, oh, well, we better tell them. But um, now they're quite confused because I'm talking about coming home and that mm. sort of thing. And um, someone asked last night if I felt confident to go home. And Indy, my 11-year-old, who doesn't, you know, sort of miss any words, she said to this counsellor or friend, whoever it was, she said, is that the most stupid question you've ever asked anyone? <laughs> <laughs> she goes, of course she wants to go home. So, um, yeah, they're quite cheerful because I can see things are going a little bit better than, um, you know, we're not going to be selling many false hope. Yeah. She said it will still be soon, but mummy might get a bit longer now than they were staying in the hospital last week. So, yeah, still very, very much on the on the ropes. It's still going to get me. But um, I think when I'm in my own home and stuff, I can um, speak to people that are doing trials and, you know, other doctors and stuff and try and find that because you've... I've found out got to be very proactive about your healthcare and your situation. You've got to tell them what you want them to do and then sometimes you've got to beg them to do it, which I did with this last surgery. But I just think so many people, as I were told, seven to ten days, that would just go and live to that seven to ten days. Yeah. And pass away, but they, I haven't done that. It's, yeah, not on my clock. <laughs> Um, someone wrote on your Facebook page the other day, because uh, you're getting, you know, obviously lots of comments to your posts at the moment. And um, yeah. somebody wrote, look, I don't want, I wish we wouldn't use the the language around fighting the disease because I don't want there ever to be a moment where we think that Julia lost, that Julia. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, how do you feel about yeah, that? Yeah, no, that's, very, that's very important. I don't, I don't get caught up in the terminology. Some people do, mm. you know, like because I don't want people to tiptoe around me. We've just been talking, you know, with all my friends and family and councils and stuff, just in a normal way. And I, I don't want people to start pussyfooting around and being scared that they're not allowed to say something or, or whatever. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not caught up in the, the wordage so much, but I do understand that one because it, it should never be looked at as something you can win or lose. Mm. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just a, it's time. I'm just hanging on for every little pocket of time that I can get, really. I imagine it'd be hard to sleep because I sort of been think obviously thinking about you so much for the last couple of weeks and thinking it must be hard to to allow yourself to sleep because knowing you there'd be so much you want to be doing with every minute and every second and spending time with the girls yeah. is it hard to give yourself a break? It's not actually like I've never had any problems or I've been wondering when that time will come because this has sort of happened in reverse like we were in a really good shape a few months mm. ago and it's turned around to the bad side really quick and I didn't expect it to go that way. I expected to have a, you know, a slower yeah. um, progression, whereas it's sort of, yeah, it's not working like that way for me at all. So, you know, I always sort of used to say to myself about a year ago, you know, it's going to be, I'll let it be really bad at the end, like when I, when I know that I'm going really soon, then I'll allow the fear in and I won't, you know, be able to sleep and stuff like that. I've slept every night. Yeah. So at the moment I'm still... Yeah, I just think, you know, my, I'm not ready and the, the body knows it. So it's given me a bit of a bit of a lift to say, oh, yeah, it's just not, not on my radar at the moment. It doesn't – I always thought that I would feel that I'd know when the time had come mm. and I don't feel like it has. So just keep going. It's, the, it's, all, it's exactly the same thing I said last year, as much as I can for as long as I can. It is surreal though, isn't it? It's surreal even – chatting with you, um, you know, still full of your humour and intelligence and insight. Uh, it is surreal to to think that you won't be here anymore. Is it surreal? Yeah, it is. But it's still, you know, it doesn't, I mean, it's still going to be probably closer still only talking about one to two months, even if this, you know, stent is going to pick up a bit more and work a bit harder it's working but it's just not it could be doing a bit better mm. but um yeah it doesn't even feel close and it's silly because i know i've seen the scans myself and i've seen how much cancer there is there so i know realistically that it's, it's there mm. um and it is going to happen if i can't do something to arrest it it's going to block the stent up again and that's you know there, there won't be any more chances after that but uh, at the moment i feel confident that it's um 
still going to be a little while. So, yeah, I just don't feel scared. I'm just thinking, well, that would be a waste because I've just no idea what's going to happen, how the cookie will crumble in the next two months. I've got no idea. Mm. And none of us do. And, that, you know, we know that intellectually. None of us know how our next two months are going to go. Um, yeah. But you are facing it very, in a very much more real way than, than any of us, you know? Mm. Yeah. I don't know if it would be anybody else's experience, but I'm not finding it quite as frightening as, you know, as some mm. other people said. And it is, oh, my God, it's terrifying. I don't, you know, want to leave my kids and I've got one in high school and one going into high school and high school's hard, you know, they've got a whole new set of emotions and stuff. And I'm like, you know, no, no one's as intuitive as their mum, so I want to go out there and actually be doing that practical stuff myself. Mm. And be there for them. So that's what I'll do for as yeah, for as long as I can. So I thought, no, I haven't checked out of being a practical mother. It's just that I'm still there, actual, you know, doing stuff mother. And that's what they love more than anything. Like yeah. the idea of them being at home with their parents and their dog and all their sisters is like a dream to my kids. They're real homebodies, they love it. Mm. So like even if I went home for a week and it all that we could be, you know, absolutely treasured because mm. that's just where they, they love to be the most. So I think if I, yeah, if I get home on the weekend, well, no, it's not, but I'm going, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then, um, you know, that whatever we've got left will be a happy time for us. Have you done so, anything um, to leave for the girls? Any Have you written anything for them or, or anything like that? Well, I haven't really, I mean, they've obviously got the, the book that yep. I wrote, mm-hmm. which is more than a lot of people would ever get to do. Yeah. So I am thinking of starting on the you know, the memory boxes and the letters and that sort of thing. Mm. But like I said, I thought I'd have more time and I think that will put me in a bad headspace. Yes, good point. So, yes. yeah, it just depends on how I feel when I get closer to whether that will tip me into the, you know, the bad place yeah. where I'm directly writing to them is a little bit different. Um, so I haven't really, but I've got, you know, I've got little memory boxes and things like that. I've got things... Set up, mm. but um, yeah, I haven't done it. And I think I've absolved myself of the guilt if I don't actually do those personal message boxes and mm. letters for 18th and 21st and stuff like that. If that's not going to be my priority, and you know everything else is, then I've absolved myself of any guilt because they've got a book they can read when they're teenagers. And, yeah, great book. Yeah, and interviews so like ours, and you know, yeah. lots of nice. There's a there's a nice legacy there to um, hear your voice and remember the dynamic woman that you are. Yeah, it's lovely to hear your voice too. I was thinking the other day about <laughs> how the kids said, are you two, are you two twins, Mum? Because we yeah. have the same hair. You just <laughs> have to have the same hair. Yeah, absolutely. I had yeah. so many people. I had someone Facebook me the other day and say, I don't know if you've ever heard of this lady, Julia Watson, but gee, she reminds me of you. And, you know, and I was like, yes, I know. And I, I know we're twins. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw and said the other way around. <laughs> no, I get it. Do you ever find yourself thinking, where are all the good guys? I'm Corinne Grant and I have some people I'd like you to meet. They've all faced unimaginable battles and their stories will make you cry, laugh and cry again. Had I known about that as an athlete, who knows how much faster I could have run. From sports heroes to transgender women. And I've always been a fighter all my life. Rappers to lawyers. Don't you know what's happening? Don't you know this has been done in our name? pacifists to activists. You may think you own the land, but the land owns you. And workers to the wounded. Putting on a pair of shoes and doing the shoelaces up. I can't do that. They're fighting for a world that gives everyone a fair go and they are not giving up. I've had this battle of being totally accepted for just being me. That maybe I can choose love, that I can lead with love, that I could be love. Fighting for fair. True stories of social justice from around Australia. Subscribe in iTunes or the Mamma Mia podcast app. What about the GoFundMe campaign? You were oh, just astonishing. Like it's wonderful. I was still um, battling then um, with the dr- drug combination. Like they've got it really well set here, but it was yeah. wasn't working that well in the hospital. And um, sort of was going. So I was asleep a lot of the time, not because of the combination, just didn't quite work at first. Yeah, and so. Um, that was what was the question? Sorry, just can oh, you that's all right, Bob. It's just the GoFundMe campaign. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so I didn't actually know mm. until well after that happened. Like no one asked me. Well, I, had, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> that was all done by friends of mine. And then Gaz said something about a GoFundMe campaign. I said, oh, 
no, not another one of those especially to Thailand. Other people need the money. And no, this is a great opportunity. No, this is great. It's for a great opportunity for people like me to feel like, well, I want to do something. I want to just do something to show my support uh, to you guys. And, and so it's it's honestly, it's generous of but It was just you. lovely and so generous of all, all of you because we've got um, our own business and mm-hmm. Gary's the only one that operates it. And so he has to be, um, would have to have been at work all the time. Yeah. And um, he's been staying with me the last week and I can call on him any time. He hasn't been going to work. Well, we couldn't even do that for one week. Yeah. So now because of that, we could, you know, probably got six or eight weeks up our sleeve where he can actually oh, be with us. Yeah, so it's a, a huge thing. It is. And it's a, that's a great thing to feel like you can help with, you know. Yeah. So from oh, our perspective, it's, it's generous of you to, to accept it. How is Gaz yeah. going, by the way? Another thing I read on your Facebook page, an old friend of yours said, thank you, Julia, for turning our, uh, I can't remember how she described him, our rough and ready mate into a beautiful father and husband. You've, you know, you've changed him and um, and thank you. Oh, that's lovely. I, I think I might have, because I haven't been able to read everything. How could you? There's thousands of them. There are literally thousands. So I think I missed that one, but that one's beautiful. I'm glad to hear about that. How's he yeah. going? How's Gaz going? He's really, he's really good. Like he's, you know, he's so terrified for the first couple of years. It was, um, it was sort of a little bit hard to confide in him because I've, Felt like I was upsetting him so much with everything that I said, but you know he's he's stepped up and he said, "I want you to say it to me. I don't want you to be scared of how I, yeah. I feel." So now I, I, you know, he's the first person I tell about anything, even if it's it's something really hurtful. You know, it's something because we we're the only parents of those children that have you know the, yeah. we're their only parents. So they um they sort of um oh, they they just adore their father. He's just been fantastic. I mean, the, the late in life life parent and stuff yeah. like that. So they're seeing him be a really strong person for me and that's something that, you know, that obviously I would love you know, when they fall in love with someone when they grow up yeah. that they they'd have a father like that. He really is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. It is yeah. a beautiful love story on top of so many other beautiful stories that you've lived and shared. I'm going to let yeah. you go because I feel like you may need a rest before. I know you've got a lot more <laughs> visitors coming today. Yeah, I've got some, um, I've been having some natural healing done. I've got some light workers coming today with oils and training my lymphatic system and all that sort of thing. And it all seems to be working. So I'm going to stick with it. So that's, yeah, that's about 11.30. Mate, no one could ever accuse you of giving up. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Hopefully I'll see you again sometime soon. Definitely. Well, <laughs> I'm going to, um, when we finish this conversation, I'm going to text you my number, give it to Gaz, give it to anyone you want and tell them, don't hesitate to give me a ring if there's anything I can do or, you know, just anything. Oh, that's lovely. I'm very proud that people to talk to you. Very proud people think you and I are twins. <laughs> yes. That's I like it too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to get the hair back and sink. Mine's shocking. Yeah. It's so much great. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you the other day and someone had done your beautiful makeup and I thought, Oh, she won't be happy about the regrowth though. <laughs> oh, the regrowth is shocking. It just looks like a dog's breakfast. All right. Well we gotta get yeah. on to that. Let's get on to that. We will for sure. All right. I'll have a hairdressing appointment or something and say Clean us up again. Let's sort this out. Yeah. I've got lots of um, hairdressers up my sleeve who'd come to your house. Would that be helpful? Yeah. And you can come too and we'll have a... All right. We can have a wine or something while we're having a hair. Yeah, definitely. I've got someone... Is it Karen? I've got someone's mobile I've been talking to about you, one of your girlfriends. Yes, my friend Kes. Yes, yes. That's who it yeah. is. So I'll get on to her and um, see if I can tee up a hairdresser to come to yours. Fabulous. Well, right. I'll see you then. All my love to you, darling. All my love to the family. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Mish. Bye. Bye, darling. starting to give up on my children. I was starting to, um, you know, not do their hair and let them do all everything for themselves, you know, because you have to do it later. That was what my mind was saying. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to do it soon. You're like, I can't be, you know, pandering to you. Um, awful thing to want to withdraw from your children before you're even gone because your mind says you're doing the right thing. I'm Michelle Laurie and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee, conversations about the guts and the glory of life. Julia Watson is many things, a humanitarian, a mature age student, a published author, a mother, a wife, 
Most recently, though, her life and her identity have been consumed by cancer. In January 2015, she was given six to nine months to live, which she has happily surpassed, but there are no miracles on the horizon for Julia. She's written a book called Breakfast, School Run, Chemo. It's every bit as honest, confronting, brilliant and hilarious as she is. Prepare to be dazzled by Julia Watson. There's always a certain way if you don't have a lot of... Like I always had a gregarious personality, but I didn't have the confidence to match it. Yeah. You know, so I'd go out and, I'd, you know, I could certainly get along with people and, and that sort of thing. But if I was, you know, I wanted to blend in a bit, yeah. like a bit of a wallflower, you know, the pullback hair, no makeup, don't, you know, wear yeah. colourful clothes, don't um, draw attention to yourself and yep. and that sort of thing. And not that, the, you know, the change was anything about doing that. It was more just when you find, you know, you find your confidence, you find your style. Um, it, it, it's just what naturally happens. So, I mean, it was really... It was sort of, it was almost by accident. I, w- I started chemotherapy and I thought I'm, I'm going to cut my hair short so it won't be too shocking for my children when it falls out. Yeah. Um, and in first line bowel ca- cancer chemotherapy, it generally doesn't fall out. So it didn't fall out. So I had short grey hair. And um, I thought, well, I'm doing the platinum. I've wanted to do this for so long. So awesome. I ran down and did the platinum and I come home and everyone said, oh, are you wanting to look like pink? And I said, no, Roxette. Yeah. You know, we're, we're going back a whole, yeah, Marie yep. from Roxette. That yep. was when I wanted that hair. And it actually, I mean, I could see straight away it suited me and I would never have thought it would. Yeah. So I was just like, well, this is it. I'll never go back from this now. Yeah, totally. Reading your book and looking at the photos, I... I couldn't imagine you any other way. Imagine you any other way. And then there's there's one, maybe a couple of photos, old photos of you with the long hair, and and as you as you say in the book, the grey top and yeah. the sort of you know, and I just can't imagine that was you. Yeah, it just sort of it sort of evolved. You know, once I enjoyed the hair, then I started to enjoy the makeup, and then the clothes came with it, and then you can, you know, I used to say that I could go out to a shop. Um, and they could have put a mannequin together with every single accessory and every piece of clothing on it. And I still could not pull this together. I could say, can I have everything off that thing? And I'd just be like, no, it doesn't work. And now I've, you know, I've become one of those people that can pull things from the wardrobe randomly and put them together. And I have never been able to do that. And someone said to me, what, how do you do it? And I said, confidence. Can't think of any other way to say it because I never could before. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a, but it, it, you know, it happens slowly. That's what I... I um, you know, I hope get comes across in the in the book that it's not an overnight process. You don't just wake up and say, you know, mm. I'm going to have all the confidence in the world today, and I'm, you know, look out world. Yeah, it took you know, it, it's an evolutionary process. It happens bit by bit. Yeah, well, because the book is chronological, because you know, it's it's blog entries and it's it's things like that. So certainly the the journey, for want of a better word, comes across in the book, and you're sort of on this ride with you. Um, for better and for worse. And yeah. yeah, it's definitely, but it's it's just so much about your decisions about how you're going to cope with yeah. cancer, mm. how you're going to cope with um, possibilities that are on the horizon that, mm. that could work, that mightn't work, that could actually end up with far worse consequences than not pursuing yeah. them. Mm. It's It's so much about I'm Buddhist, right? And mm. so much of I don't know if you know much about Buddhism, but, but a little bit. Yeah. So much of it is about disciplining your mind and your emotions yes. and about making the choice to yeah. react in a certain way. And mm. you you you've got it in spades. Like yeah. you're doing it every day. Yeah, yeah, I am. I think it's um you know, it was decisions I had to make to to keep on reframing things along the way as things change because I've had so many curveballs in my treatment and, you know, in my plan things have worked and things haven't worked. And, mm. um, you know, I, I decided if I couldn't get cured, then I was never, you know, I was just going to give up and wait. To, you know, mm-hmm. the, a bit of the old negativity came back for a, a really short while. Yeah. And I thought maybe I can't, I can't rally after that one. But then as soon as it was over and I didn't have a chance to be cured anymore, I just went on to the next thing. I, I've just learned to reframe along the way, but it's a real... Um, once again, like the, you know, like the image and all that sort of thing, it's, it's a, it's been a real evolutionary process and that's what I've written down. Um, that, you know, at first I felt like I was a rat caught in a cage because I thought there's no, once you hear those words, you have cancer, especially when you hear the words, you've got terminal cancer, you can't go back and you can't unhear it and nothing can ever be the same again. So that's that first feeling of being really trapped because of, of that not being able to go back even five minutes and ever be in that place again where you, you, you were so innocent and, you know, you had so much freedom to think about the future and how long you were going to take to do things. And mm. 
and that sort of thing. So, um, it, you know, it, it took me a good few weeks of real shock before I could pu- push my way out of that and say, well, it's absolutely unchangeable. So I have to find a way not to waste it. I have to find a way to live within it because, you know, I, I know I, I was starting to give up on my children. I was starting to, um, you know, not do their hair and let them do all everything for themselves, you know, because you have to do it later. That was what my mind was saying. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to do it soon. Like, I can't be, you know, pandering to you. Um, awful thing to want to withdraw from your children before you're even gone because your mind says you're doing the right thing. You but know? It, and it's not uncommon. Mm, it's not. That's something that I have found, um, you know, yeah. with people I've connected with along the way, which, you know, has been so many through my blog um, and now through this book, that it's not uncommon. So, you know, something like that you know, it brings people together and makes you realise that these are not abnormal responses, but you can, you know, hopefully most people can draw something from it and find, you know, mm. I, I just do the, I, I do the mindfulness. The, no, I don't do it very well, but I, I think you do it really yeah. well. I mean, I, I don't do it in a very disciplined way, I suppose yeah. I mean, but I, the concept of it, of every time I start to panic, is to just pull myself back to the here and now. Most of the time I can do it and I'll look, it's, it's probably saved my life. It's yeah. a, that's a big part of it. Yeah. But also you talk a lot about the 14-month period of hope. Yeah, well, I had a, a chance of having a liver resection operation, which you know, gave me a very, very small chance of a cure because I had very advanced cancer in my liver when I was diagnosed. Um, and, you know, it was never a very big chance. It was only ever a couple of percent. And I, you know, decided I still wanted to go for that because someone had to be in that one or two, mm. you know. And I did still have in my mind, even though I was living really well, I was having a lot of fun and stuff, that I was going to um, be cured, you know. So that all it all helped on the you know the back of that to, that hope, mm. you know, to get there. And then you know it was it it turned out when I went to have the operation that it was just too advanced and there was more cancer than he thought. But you talk about how important that hope was. It was really important because. Mm. Um, I'm, my liver surgeon, who's a lovely man, you know, and he's he's been with me from the start and he tried so hard to get me to that operation. Um, and he sent me an email recently just, just you know, saying, I, I wish I could have done more. You know, I'm sorry that I couldn't do more. And, I, you know, I felt compelled to write back and say that, you know, what you gave me with that hope was really important because it gave me time yeah. to settle into this place of acceptance that I can, you know, keep on rallying until I can't, you know, the, you know. Yeah. They tell me that day will come. I'm not, you know, too concerned about that. I'm only concerned, like I said, about the here and now. I mean, of course, I'm scared of it, but it's, you know, it's not here now. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it gave me time to, you know, realise that I can, you know, I learnt a lot of things. I learnt things like you can go to bed for the day and put a pillow over your head and be absolutely hysterical. But you can tell yourself, I'm still going to be able to get up, maybe not tomorrow, but the next day. Mm. I'm going to keep on rallying. You know, I can do that. So, you know, to allow myself to go into these. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
really scary places and then say I can come out again. You know, I've le- I learned a lot over that period of time and, and it was always in the back of my mind, but maybe, but maybe. So even though it's now not, um, it's, it's, yeah, it still gave me that time and it's given me um, the, the chance to say to myself that I did everything that I could, yeah. that there was no, nothing else that could save me. Because if I had have got to the end of my life and been lying there and thought it was only a 1% or 2% chance, but what if I was that 1% or 2%, yeah. um, it would be very hard to go peacefully, basically, mm. I, I feel. So, you know, I know that, you know, I, I did everything that I could to, yeah. you know. I don't think you've got many regrets left, have you? I no. Think you've... No, no, I, have, I haven't got many. I've, um, you know, I've, there's, been, there's been lots of things. Like, you know, I've, I've spoken openly about, you know, issues in my childhood, like childhood sexual abuse, bullying, you know, some of the things that I went through. And I've, you know, sort of, oh, I've, I've purged all the demons and, you know, I've, I've got to speak to a lot of other people about theirs too and how that's helped them to to purchase and that's a real privilege and I think that that's you know it's been it's just been wonderful best life ever so um yeah you even talk about using that that time when you've got no energy maybe the day after chemo or or whatever and using that as okay well that's snuggling in bed with the girls watching a movie day Mm. so even that you find a positive purpose in and yeah you know. Yeah, that's what I had to do because especially because I was always considered terminal right from the start. So mm. there was this little bit of hope, but it wasn't, you know, it was like I was never high and they always considered me a terminal patient. Um, so I knew that and, and I was very mindful and I'm, I'm especially so now when there's no, no recourse for me at all to be cured that um, when you have chemotherapy, I thought these are days that I'm going to lose. Like I'm just going to, you might as well, if, if I lived a year, you might as well call it six months. Mm. You know, because half of it's going to be taken away by, you know, feeling under par and, and stuff. And, it's, you know, so far it hasn't turned out to be as bad as I thought. But that generally in the first couple of days I can't do a lot. So, um, you know, thank goodness for social media and connecting with people. You never lose that. And that's been really important to yeah. me. Like I could be in the deepest, darkest pit in my bed and then I'd have a baby next to me watching a movie and then I'd, you know, go online and I was never alone. I'd put some post up about something, either something funny or something depressing. And, yeah. you know, they're in that all be, like they're in the room. So I love how you call your kids your babies. <laughs> I do that as well. I'm the, you're the only other person I know who does that. And my kids are five. Yeah. So, and they're always like, I'm not a baby. Why are you call me a baby? But to me, they're always my babies. That's, oh, they always will be to yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. I put my baby shot of two netball goals the other day. My baby's 12 next week. <laughs> <laughs> she's my biggest baby. This is Dakota, who, yes. as you say in the book, is the person who made you a mother. And yes. oh, that really touched me because like you, I had to wait a long time to be a mum. Yeah. And, um, you know, you also talk about taking Dakota to a sort of... Um, pre-high school mm. days, yeah. immersion, is that what they're called yeah. or something? Um, and feeling as though when you're there in that day and she's excited and, and it's a bit scary and all of that, that you, at the time you felt you probably won't be there to take her to her yeah. first day of high school. No, but I, I sort of always envisaged the end of year graduation dinner, the grade six graduation, you know, yeah. where they get. So the first, when I was first diagnosed, I was thinking, okay, what's two years? Oh, that's her high school, uh, primary school graduation. Mm. And so I started to, you know, picture awful things like either am I going to be there but it, or if I am, I'm going to be really, really sick, you know, and I'm just going to be, and it's going to be an awful time and it's, you know, such an important time in a child's life and I'll be sitting there thinking I won't see the next one, you know, because my other, you know, my next daughter's in grade six next year so it'll be her and, and you know, and, and there's still that, you know, like I'm obviously, I'm going to get to this one and, um and then I'm going to plan to get to the next one because I think that's all I can do. Yeah, I love the way you plan. Mm. Um, yeah, I really love the way you keep planning. Yeah. And I think if I didn't have my plans, like I, after this book, you know, people said, there's all this, when's the next book and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And I said, oh, I said, I don't think there's another book, you know, there's articles and there's all sorts of, you know, places that I want to pitch and things I want to write about. And, you know, I don't, definitely don't want to write about cancer mm. because it's it's a part of my life, but I can't be consumed by it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, so, you know, the plan is to sort of go back to things that were, you know, are really important to me that I've, you know, really chased before when I was doing community development at, at TAFE and wanted to work with asylum seekers on the coalface and tell their stories, you know, and I want to go, you know, yeah. back and, you know, focus on that sort of thing again. But the other day, all of a sudden, there was another book. So there's going to be another book. Great! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Wow. So um, yeah, I've already already sort of started to make out the nuts and bolts of it. So yeah. Well, look, this, this is the there. thing in this book as well. 
the chapter that that another chapter that really resonated me, with me was glorification of busy. Yeah, just the um, I th- think about what what I used to think of was an achievement because yeah. I used to always be very focused on what I could achieve, um, and you know I would almost be mentally listing it down and ticking it off. I can be super mum. I've got four children. I've got a child with a disability who can't walk or talk. Um, so. You know, this this last year before I was diagnosed with cancer in the December, I'd spent um, a whole year studying community development full time. So and I you've would... got no help in the home. So no. at least I've got help in my house. But yeah. you you were getting up in the morning at the crack yeah. of dawn, getting four girls off to school and kinder and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, lunches, uniforms, all that stuff. Then yeah. you were going to TAFE, yeah. studying, doing assignments, school pick up at mm-hmm. three three thirty, whatever. Dinner, baths, the cactus mm-hmm. hour, getting yeah. them to bed, and then studying. Yep. I'd usually start, you know. Massive. And, and it was such an intense study too. Yeah. I wasn't one of those people that thought um, that I would just, you know, I'd be happy to pass, which yeah. would be fine because no one looks at your transcript when you go to get a job. Peace, get know. degrees, babe. That's Peace what I always degrees. say. <laughs> I love it and you're so right. And I didn't, you know, and I didn't yeah. look at it that way. I was getting the high distinctions, you know. I pretty much clean swept them. But I just remember thinking, oh, I was exhausted all the time. I was losing weight, um, you know, really exhausted. But I didn't think any of those things were a problem because, um, you know, I wasn't sitting home with the kids on the computer eating packets of chips and stuff like that. Of course yeah. the weight's going to fall off. That's the of dream, course, isn't it? you're going to be tight. Yeah, when a friend loses weight and you go, how did you do that? And she goes, oh, I was just chasing the twins around or something. And yeah. you think, oh, that's the dream, to lose weight and not know how or why. That's it, And in yeah. your case, it was because you had cancer. I had cancer. I generally wasn't concerned. Yeah. But it was a... It was a year when I, I looked back on that year, you know, at, the, at December when I finished my placement and I was, you know, finished all my assignments and ready to start the next year and all that sort of stuff. I'd, I'd looked back at, at, at that as one of the biggest years of achievements that I'd, I'd ever had in my life. Mm. I just thought, I just, you know, I've done, I've done it all. I have shown everybody yeah. you can have it all. You what got- I did that year um by thinking that that was the best, my, most epic year ever, was devalue all the years that I'd had before. You know, I'd had four children and I'd stayed home for years with the kids because I wanted to mm. um, for those, you know, first few years. And, you know, they're hard years. You've got, you know, four kids under five yeah. and they're all that sort of stuff. And and you just think, oh, you know, that that was really hard, but this was really, you know. I should, really... You feel like you're never achieving anything when you've got little yeah. kids because they walk behind you undoing everything you're doing. And, yeah. you know, every day is like Groundhog Day. It's really hard to remember what you're yeah. achieving with it them. It is. It is. And, and this is just so what everyone says. But they, those those little things were the big things. Yeah. And I, I, I see it now and that's why I think let's stop glorifying busy. Let's stop, you know, who who could care less if you've done the look? I, yeah. My house sometimes has got trash everywhere. There's, there's clothes all over the floor. There's dishes everywhere. There's all that sort of thing. Before I might have been able to get past it and sit down with the kids if they were really nagging, but I'll be sitting there the whole time, really tense. Yes. You know, look, you know, I must do this. You know, I can't. And I used to say to my husband and kids every night. If you want me to sit down and spend time with any of you, you have to help clean up, you know, because this has got to be done before I can sit down. I can't sit and look at all this chaos. Yeah. And then that sort of thing. Now I just don't even look at the chaos. Mm. If they want to watch a movie, I sit down. And I, look, I don't always achieve it. I slip, I slip back, you know. It, it, it's not... Um, but it feels like another one of those things that you're just getting so much better at yeah. through your illness. You know, yeah, it's but it's of... it's all practice, yeah. Yeah, really, really want to drive home because I, I found it something I found really hard when I wrote that, and it was being turned into a book, and I knew like you know there was a lot of people reading it before when it was a blog, and obviously a lot more people now, and it's also people now reading it who don't know me, yeah, um, as a person, like even through my Facebook page, you know, they might get to know me a little bit. There's literally been picked up by people who've never heard of me before, never seen a blog, never seen a bit or anything like that, know nothing about me. A real concern that um, people will think that I think that I'm doing cancer better than anybody else and I don't. Oh, that's a terrible thing. It's a to... worry though, you know, Is because it? everybody's, it's a worry to me that I, you know, I'm worried that people will. Has anyone made no. you think that they no, think that? It's, it's, I think it's my thing, Michelle. Yeah. It's just, it's, um, it, I've seen, you know, I mean, cancer forums and stuff like that, and I've said we have a really close knit cancer forum too that I'm on, which is sort of a spin off of. There's about eighteen or twenty of us, and 
Um, you know, we've had a few, we've lost a few this year. We've lost four girls, two of them to bowel cancer and both of them within 12 months. See, mm. I've been alive 21 months now and I'm living really well. Look, I've been very sick, very, very sick. You know, there's not, this is the is the best I've been in a yeah, lot of Yeah, to see you today, I'm, I'm not yeah. allowing myself to be sort of unrealistic about how sick you have been because you look great to me. Yeah. But I know it can be very deceiving, yeah. unfortunately, but, um, you know, I've still got a liver full of cancer, but it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm having a chemo break. I feel well, I, you know, and when I feel well, I always do everything that I can, you know, to, to, you know, go out there and enjoy life. And it look, it's, it's most of the time. And, and, but these two beautiful ladies that we've lost in the last year, um, who had, you know, one year diagnosis from diagnosis to passing away that none of them could have done anything that I've done. They were too sick the whole time. So, you know, I'm, I'm mindful that I want everybody to get something out of it to say that life's still worth living because initially I just thought, what is the point? That was my biggest feeling when I was diagnosed. What's the point in anything? Totally. What can you do now? Yeah, totally. You know, what sort of impression can you leave on your children? Yeah. What sort of mark can you make on the world? Because I wasn't going to make a mark on the world. You yeah. Know, on that sort of thing, you know. And when you don't know how much time, how can you get – any sort of, you know, idea as to what you can do mm. and, and that sort of thing. If you've got to box it into this frame of time that they give you, you don't want people to say, my problems are so much smaller than yours. You don't want to hear about that. Yeah. Yes, I do. Get a glass of wine. Tell me all Yeah, you mentioned the that in the book things. that yeah. somebody came to you with a love life story or something like that and it meant a lot to you because it felt like your old self. It did, yeah. Towards the end of the book where it's very – it becomes there's like a mourning period, yeah. Um, and then, and then you come good again, which yeah. is nice, so nice yeah. as a reader. But I liked it where it ended. <laughs> it yeah, was it was like, great. Yeah, it's good. There was definitely a phase though towards the end of the book where um, you were talking more about being angry yeah. about the things you're going to miss, yeah. and and being in moments where you thought, this is, you know, I'm angry that I'm not going to yeah. see this or that. Um, all of this is normal. Of course. It's all, yeah. And you've got to allow yourself to feel it. Um, yes. You know, there's lots of, you get so many expectations put on you. So that was something else that I had the opportunity to write about was this constant thing that people say to you that you must stay positive because it's dangerous if you don't. Yeah. There's nothing dangerous about it whatsoever. If you're told that you're going to, you know, die from cancer and you've got young children or you've got, you know, a, a partner that loves you, anybody that loves you, a family, you love your life, yeah. that that's an absolute tragedy. You don't have to be positive, no. you know. That's But it, people used to drum it into me so much that, I, as I mentioned in the book, I had like my first meltdown. It was only a couple of weeks before the operation, which you know, had a 50% chance of, of killing me on the operating table. So, And that was my first meltdown. In, in you know 13 months, basically, I hadn't had a really bad mm. one where I was so frightened. Mm. Like I was absolutely terrified. Like my children were home. I think it might have been school holidays. And, um, and I thought, oh, I can't let them see this. And I knew like, I can't rally today, head under the pillow, scroll, stuffing it in my mouth, screaming. It was just so, so terrifying. And um, luckily the palliative care nurse just happened to ring and I couldn't be understood yeah. at all. So she sent someone around straight away. They're, you know, they're magnificent. And, you know, she just said, what do we need to do today to get you through today? And I said, oh, I mentioned shotguns. I think we've got a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's just what I felt like, you know, just yeah. like get me out of this awful, you know, I just can't stand it. Like I said, I literally can't stand it. So I have to um, like go to sleep. So we got organised, yeah. you know, sort of sleepy pills and stuff like that. But I talked to her about the positive. I said, you know, I'm, I'm just heaving and sobbing about this and then saying, oh, you know, I've got to get out of this state. How do I get out of it? Because if I can't be positive, then... Then um, you know I'm, I'm going to die. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of pressure on it's you. It's a lot isn't of pressure it? for people it's... to say you've got to stay positive yeah. when you're dying. Yeah, that's. I it. mean, it's perfectly reasonable not to be. Yeah, for yeah, if you're lucky, like yeah. you, you know, for moments yeah. to, to be allowed allowed to go through all of those gears in your mind and yeah. hopefully then come out of them again. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, it's it's healthy. Look, the nurse said it would. She almost laughed because she must yeah. have heard this so many times before. Um, that it's it's healthy. You ha you must accept what's happening and 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 the you know the the tragedy that it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no that that can't be questioned. It's a it's a it's a terrible situation, but it's a you know it's a situation that so many people are in. You know, one in three get diagnosed with cancer, so we're all going to have relatives and friends. Mm. Um, partners that, you know, have cancer, die from cancer. It's, it, it affects so many people that, you know, all I could think of was that I want 
you know, to find a way not to waste my life. I, just, I go to the edge of the pool now and I chuck the towel and I just walk and get in and I don't worry about who sees the size yeah, of my ass yeah, or great. what they think of it and all that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But just even the freedom that it gives you, the mental freedom, the physical freedom, because yeah. you're not thinking about trying to get undressed under a towel, yeah. you know, get all that. <laughs> you're so generous that you've shared with us as readers, you know, what it's like to be, to have a time limit on that. Mm. Yeah. It encourages me to... To, to try and let go of things that don't matter yeah. and, you know, be so, is, so much more conscious of what matters. Yeah. Well, I think that's beautiful because that's, um you know, that wasn't what I set out to do. I mm. wrote a blog, you know, for my own therapy and then I was, people started to read and be interested. Well, it's, just, it was, it's just my heart and my soul out on a page. It's something that I've been, you know, lucky to be able to do, to learn how to not censor myself because the more I didn't censor myself, the, the more feedback I got from people saying this is, you know, this is really raw and we're getting down to the, you know, the brass sexy. We're not, you know, there's none of the fakeness and all that no. sort of thing. But that's what I, I've loved about it because, you know, when there was talk about it being published as a book, I thought, but it's a diary about cancer. You know, that's all I could think of was, <laughs> yeah. why does anybody want to read that? There's so many out there. And I had to actually sort of try to sit away from it and read it. And I read it as a book on the way up to our yeah. Queensland holiday a few weeks ago because I already had it before it came out, obviously. And I thought, okay, I can, I'm, I'm starting to see this yeah. myself that – it's um yeah it, it is about living and the, the majority I would say seventy five percent of the feedback that I get from people and I've had thousands of messages now um, have been from people without cancer who yes. have said exactly what you just said it's it's perspective yeah. it's a because and how what what a privilege because how ace if they don't waste another day look I've had people say to me I've literally you've literally got through to me where you know years of therapy haven't been able to and things like that I mean that's just like yeah. You know, just take a deep breath. Like I don't, you know, I can't believe that that can be the case, but that, you know, this really genuine and, and, you know, people will tell me their stories, really raw personal stories that, you know, I just honour so much because I just think, you know, that's absolutely fantastic. And I wish, you know, I write in the book about the, you know, how it was sort of coming coming into my own even before being diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. But, you know, still had one arse cheek nailed to the step. You know, I was going to – so, you know, if this is getting them up, because I just feel – I don't feel regret because it takes everything in your life to get to, you to, you to the point you are, mm -hmm. the pain and the, you know, everything, every experience that you've gone through up to the point where you say, I really accept myself and I love my life and I, you know, and I, you know, I can create this. Um, everything has a purpose to get you up to that point. Mm. But if I can get people there a little bit quicker, then that's just ace. Yeah. But we can all find something in our day or our life that we want to make better. So obviously you've always been a person who can find. Yeah. Who can just deal with it. Yeah. I it just, it I just, just is. Get on. It just is. Yeah. Well, do you know, it, there, there was a lot of, there's a lot of similarities when I look back at, um, you know, our reaction when we had Georgia um, and found out about her Down syndrome um, and, and how I, I dealt with the cancer because it was exactly the same. And we were grief stricken and we were terrified, absolutely terrified. When um, you had Georgia. Yeah, yeah. we were. Um, I mean, instantly loved her. But we just thought, what, you know, we had these three children. And I, I remember we'd been out on our boat um, a few weeks before and I'd been really heavily pregnant and stuff. And I said to my husband, oh, you know, not sad because I was having another baby, but I was sort of like, how long before I'm going to get the next one old enough so we can all go out? You yeah. know, I feel like I'm starting again and yeah. again. I keep doing this. And, um, yeah, it wasn't a regretful thing. It was just an observation. Yeah. And so when I actually had Georgia, I thought, well, this is it, isn't it? Interesting. Yeah, You've had is... a baby that will be dependent for Yeah, ever. and it's just sort of, yeah, crazy. And I sort of, there was like, you know, Awful thoughts that you have that you sort of feel bad about, like you feel like the baby can feel them, you know, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, and then you feel really guilty. Um, you know, why did we do it? We had three children. They're all walking yeah. out of the car. They're all, why did we do this? But then we loved her so much. And then, it, but the very big overriding feeling was very much the same as the cancer. I can't fix this. We can never go back. She's our baby. Um, I can let my life be destroyed by it mm. or I could not same thing maybe that gave me lessons in how to deal with cancer there you go I'd never thought of that mm. that's just come to me because it was very much the same process it was long although you cancer. talk a lot in the book about how all your life you'd expected something terrible to I happen. did I did because I had 
you know, I had a, a difficult, you know, a difficult childhood, childhood sexual abuse for, you know, five years. It changes you, mm-hmm. you know, a lot. You're never, you know, never going to be the person that you, you know, you, you thought you had the potential to be. And I think that that was a lot of, um, you know, what held me back for so many years. Do you think that's what made you expect something terrible yeah. to happen? I yeah. suppose as a child, you don't expect to be sexually abused. You don't expect a grown up to take advantage of you and hurt you in that way. And no. All the secrecy and everything around that. Do you think that's what made you, as an adult, think something bad can happen at any time? Yeah, yeah, I do. I just, I just think you don't expect expect much um, from your life, like because the the, the spin off from that is then you, you know, because it changes. Like I said, being abused, and then you're a, you're a different person. So, you know, you start to develop a little bit of negativity and then the kids in the playground don't know what to make of you, so they don't play with you. And then that starts off really early and, and it impacts on everything. You wow. know, I went what, the whole way through primary school and even the teachers didn't like me. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> you know, sort yeah, of, so you were a bit askew because of what askew. you were dealing with yeah. and that, that sort of repels people. It does. Now that you say that, I think of 100 kids on you, you know. Yeah. It's that sort of insight that makes you think, God. Yeah. How- you just get more and more negative and yeah. then you and you push people away. Yeah. And um and then that's what you come to expect and that's what you come to think you deserve. There's yeah. something that I've done. So so that's how that got got into my head. I just thought well every ch- chance that I had to be happy, I waited for something to come, you know, the big bowling pin to come and fall over. Mm. It was um it was oh, yeah, I just didn't know even as, as things got better and better and I started to feel more, you know, deserving. I had those, you know, series of things. So you know. it's almost like with George's birth, you thought, oh, well, maybe that was what I've been I waiting for it, and yeah. it's actually okay. I thought that was it, yeah. So it started a positive. It did. I was like, oh, great. That's all it was. That's all. do this. <laughs> it's not in the world. And then, yeah, then my husband got prostate cancer and he, he, you know, it was a year of treatment, but he recovered fully. And um, so that was 2013, I think. So How's it? he's a bit older than you, isn't he? Yeah, husband, yeah, he's 61. Um, and again, this beautiful, vulnerable moment in your book when you said that he confessed to you that he was feeling lonely. Yes, yeah, he did. Um, and you know, that's that's only been fairly recently because it, it was there was an enormous amount of um, love. Lots and lots of love and fuss around me as I went um, into that operation, you know, because there was, you know, even to the point where, you know, you had to say goodbye to people as mm. they left in the last couple of days because it was half a chance I'd never see wow. them again. Yeah. Um, so people were doing beautiful things. My friends crowdfunded, you know, nearly $4,000 in the space of three days and we went into Crown and had a big weekend at the Offspring Pool. <laughs> I love that. I was so excited. Yeah. I have to go and swim in the Offspring Pool. I've never so. seen Offspring. What happened? Ashley Ketty had her baby in that pool yeah, or something? Yeah, she went, got, went into labour. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay, right. Because I loved that show. So it was the best scene. I'm like, I've got to go and swim in that pool. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but fabulous things. And there was like a few friends were going to come around because I like rockabilly clothes and that sort of thing. So they were going to have a day with, you know, about eight friends. We're turning to 80 people and, oh you know, there was big sports and that sort of thing. But in those few months, oh, I suppose it was about six weeks, coming knowing that operation was so dangerous. Like I'd been known I was probably going to have it, but it was only about six weeks before that it became very dangerous because my liver wasn't doing things it was supposed to do mm. um, in terms of growing back and things like that. So it became a very dangerous proposition for me. Um, that I started to really make things all about me. Just completely drop my bundle when, like, I wouldn't even. I'd just look at George and go, "Our oh, nappy needs change," and I wouldn't even think of picking her up and changing it. You know, like I was, I was sort of handballing all, and I became very hedonistic. You know, I thought, well, if this is it, well, let's, you know. So yeah, you have all sorts of ch- changes yeah. when, when, when things change, you change. And you must sometimes think you deserve it. Yeah, you look, must think I'm dying of cancer here. Do I? Am I changing nappies? Yeah. Really? Oh, I, look, sometimes know? I do. Yeah, I really do. Like I, do, it, it's I really that. hard to get away from that. Yeah. So Gaz got kind of lost in all of he that. He got very lost. He did. Um, and Gaz has got to be coping with his own feelings of fear. Oh, yeah. Um, and loss and all of that stuff. But, I mean, the idea of raising those four girls alone. Terrifying must be terif- for him. Yeah. Terrifying because, um, you know, realistically we've got, um, you know, three girls that are becoming quite independent now. They're 11, 10 and 9. Um, and we've got a seven-year-old who still doesn't walk or talk. And still um, wears nappies. And still wears nappies. Yeah. And she's going to get her period the same as everybody else at the same sort of time. Mm-hmm. 
and you know not have any ability to manage it i mean it's really literally down to those you know he's just says to me what will i do yeah. obviously the girls will help him because they it i don't think that they'll ever look at her as a burden she's never been treated like one and she's always been so especially loved by her sisters like they know that there's something special and they think it's ace yeah. you know they don't think it's a negative thing and they're always really surprised if anybody else does <laughs> yeah. you know so i think it's something that will um, you know, that they'll just do, but it's, it's just really difficult. That's when I think, you know, that when she came into the world, I thought I was going to be the person that was always going to, you know, I had all these plans I thought because I was always going to travel again when the kids all grew up and go to South America and backpack around and do all the, because I've done a lot of travel, but South America was the continent that I really wanted to yeah. conquer. So I thought, it's okay, I can just take her. I just imagine Georgia and I taking off when she was about 20 with our backpacks and, you know, going around and that. And I knew that she was going to be with me for the rest of her life and I thought that's that's a, that's a privilege. I, I, you know, I'll just take her yeah. take her along with me. It's not the life that I imagined, but it, it now it falls to other people and it's scary because I don't know where she'll be when she grows up. She won't be with me, but... When it comes to things like this, that's when it all comes unstuck and you realise it's not the way of the world. There's not the people out there in the services mm. to be able to, you know, no. to take these children. I was looking at Georgia yesterday at Father's Day. We went to our friend's diner and we're having a fabulous day. She loves it there because they play music and <laughs> she loves music and she just sat at the table. And I just looked at her and I thought, I'll never know you, you know, I'll never... You know, there was. There's always moments of sadness and things like Father's Day. Any day, will will you know? Will there be another one? Mm -hmm. You know, because statistically, you know, I'm told will not. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, so I still hope for it. So, it's you know, it's so poignant to look at her and think, you know, what more will I get to see? Because everything in Georgia's world takes two years instead of you know two minutes. Yeah. Um, and it's all such a triumph. And yeah, those sort of things. I just look at her and I think, what will happen to you? Sometimes you just think, how can you live in this world, really? Yeah. You know, you do. Yeah. You do. It's just, it is so overwhelming. It's so big and, and, you know, the inhumanity of it is just, you know, you yeah. just can't fathom it and, and it's, yeah. It, but when it, you're living in poignancy all the time <sighs> and everything is so loaded, mm. every event, did you ever think about giving up? Oh. I think a lot of us humans say to ourselves and to each other, if that ever happens to me, I'll kill myself. Yeah. If I ever end up in palliative care, it's a big one. If yeah. I ever end up in palliative care, I would just rather die than yeah. this. Switch me off. And all of that bravado we yeah. say to each other. But then the the survival instinct is so powerful in people, isn't it? It is. That we, we will do anything to push, yeah. keep pushing forward and yeah. live. Mm. But have you ever thought of it's um, too much, all of this? I have the odd thought that you know when when it gets you know when it gets to the dark times I don't actually think of physically doing anything but I think of how what a relief it would be yeah. to be out of the intensity of that fear and that grief yeah. when you get into it. Um, so you know if I did and, and just the odd time when I think you know like you said you spoke of, you know the darker days towards the end of the book because I was back on chemo it was chemo for life I had no prospect of a cure and I didn't know if that chemo was working and I had pain yes you know so the whole thing looked really you know dire it looked bleak and you were it also did. just coming out of that 14 months of hope yes, as well and so yeah. hope had been snatched away mm. from you and I was just so tired you get so tired yeah you know and then that, that's the thing it's it's just a mental tiredness that knows that you'll never, like I said, never ever go back. You'll never ever have cancer as not being a part of your life. I still hope for all sorts of miracles and new drugs and more time and more time and more time, you mm -hmm. know. And um, But realistically, I've got to think about the, the fact that I'm probably not going to be the person that guides them through their teenage years and they're such difficult years. And Well, you know what? Possibly not physically. Yeah. But, I mean, you have certainly laid down a pretty hefty you know, example. Yeah, I hope so. And even pre-cancer. Yeah. I mean, you know, pre-cancer, you yeah. were you were at TAFE and you were, you know, a, a loving mum and partner and a vivacious person mm. and, you know, all of those things. And, and you'll be want. completely present, I would think. Yeah, I hope so. For the rest so. of their lives. I hope so. And their daughter's lives. Yeah, that's something that, you know, that is, is very poignant, you know, that you think especially the ages that they're at. I mean, yeah. when I was in my stage of, you know, something awful is going to happen, you know, this is the thing, the bad thing, 
Um, and my friend Kelly died, you know, with her, her children very young. And I remember seeing her children, you know, in the in the coming months just go back to, to normal, in their, in their new normal with their dad and their nan and all that sort of stuff. And it just broke my heart for my friend mm. who died. And it also made me feel happy for the children that they can go on, they can be resilient. It was I felt two things about it. Yeah. And so I thought about that a lot when I got cancer myself and, and, and terminal cancer. And I thought it's really hard because you want them to remember you and you want them to yeah. mourn you because something's so big. You've given your whole life to them since they were born and that's gone. Mm. Um but at the same time, I want that for them. I want them to just be able to go I know. on. It's the great conundrum of parenthood, is. though, isn't it? We want, we sort of want to make ourselves redundant yeah, in their foster, lives. Yeah, we foster dependence and then we want to... But how lonely then when they're yeah. often only phoning us once a month if we're lucky, yeah. you know? But that's... You want to create yeah. these powerful, strong, independent people. You do. And they're going to fly away one day. And they're going to fly away, yeah. Regardless. But that's right. So, yeah, it's... it's um. It's it's a real opportunity that they've got. I'm glad they can read this book because they'll know my personality, the person that I was, you know, things that have happened to me, how they can... I think they can draw on a lot of things out of there themselves if they're having a bad moment. But this yeah. is what mum said. Well, this is what mum did. Maybe we can do a little bit of that. Yeah. And that, you know, to me, that's, you know, if that was all that ever came out of this, you know, it would have been worth it. Julia's book, Breakfast, School Run Chemo, is available everywhere and you can check in with her by liking her Facebook page, Five Fairies and a Fella. Vale, Julia Watson. Safe travels, my friend. Om mani padmi hum. If you would like to know more about Julia, if you would like to get a copy of her book or uh, even donate to the GoFundMe account that's been set up by her friends to help Gaz raise his four young daughters, then by all means check out Five Fairies and a Fella on Facebook or check out the blog Five Fairies and a Fella or check out the link on the Mamma Mia blog that goes with this podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 